Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert, and each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, this week in the studio, we have a special guest. It's Chris Santor. He's a Chesapeake Bay technician, ag technician, does some nutrient management, a uh, long list of different things that he does in Susquehanna County for the Conservation District. But we're glad you're in the studio today. You're helping me out. Um, so thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Don. Yeah, and so today we're looking at talking about uh, some news topics. Quite often we try to do it the middle of the month, but September's getting away from us. There's quite a few events going on this past month. But we wanted to bring you some news topics, and uh, I think we have some pretty interesting ones and so I'm just gonna start it off. So the first one that I found was, uh, it's a news story about wildlife officials declaring the invasive nutria officially eradicated from Maryland. I wanted to start with the question, what is nutria? Have you ever heard of nutria, Chris? I have, yes. Yeah, um, so for those of you who haven't, it's kind of, uh, to give you a picture, it's maybe an animal somewhere in between a muskrat and a beaver. Not from around here. They're actually from, let's say, South America. They're subtropical species. But they were brought here actually for the fur trade. And to give you an idea more of what they look like, they're roughly two feet long plus the tail. Um, somewhere around 16 to 20 pounds. And um, as I said, they were brought here they were hunted trapped for the fur but then what makes them invasive um so typically you'd see like a high reproduction rate for most anything that's invasive in this case they can reach sexual maturity uh, as early as four months uh, and that's for the male the females three months they'll actually mate again two days after offspring are born and uh, a female on average will actually have two litters a year. That means mm, six to 16 offspring in just in one year. So kind of crazy reproduction rates, but that's usually the way it goes with invasives. The other thing that happens is it actually consumes about 25% of its body weight daily. Uh, so that's a lot of plants that it's feeding on and it feeds on both above ground and below ground plant structures so in the wetland habitat where it lives uh, consumes a lot of plants there um, one more thing to add it does transmit various diseases to humans and animals and that's mainly through water contamination so uh, back in 1940s it was brought to maryland um, and they really started working on the eradication 20 years ago um, so they worked with a variety of different agencies. National Fish and Wildlife is one who's really kind of overseen the project. Yeah, so they worked with private landowners, um, and there were 700 participating landowners they worked with. And this eradication that they declared actually has helped protect over 250,000 acres of marsh right there on Maryland's Delmarva Peninsula. So really good program. 
and uh probably wasn't a good idea to bring those guys along yeah if i had to say so you're probably right (laughs) (laughs) that that seems like the case with a lot of um you know well-intentioned projects to begin with i guess um multiflora rose back in the 50s and 60s was brought to pennsylvania for habitat years later they realized yeah that wasn't a good idea so as is the case with the nutria wasn't a good idea after all but they think they've gotten rid of them so i guess i had the question because maryland is so close did any sneak in the pennsylvania and so i did find a couple of perhaps answers it's not clear of course they don't obey the state lines you know so you'd have to think that there's maybe a chance but as far as nutria's requirements for habitat uh, they have a hairless tail so that means they're susceptible to frostbite so yeah, you would think that they probably wouldn't want to come too far into Pennsylvania. Um, if they're susceptible to frostbite, that means that moving into a colder temperature probably made them ill, uh, more prone to disease, infection, that type of thing. So really not going to survive here too well. So even if they did move into Pennsylvania a little bit, probably not too far. All right, so we're on to your news topic. What you what'd you find this week? Yeah, so waterfowl season uh, is coming up in Susquehanna County. Duck season comes in on October 8th, and goose season comes in on October 22nd. And with that, the State Game Commission has issued a reminder for bird hunters to take precautions regarding high-path avian influenza. I'm sure many of you are aware of uh, the bird flu that has been going on this year in the state. Uh, Since March, the disease has been spread between uh, wild bird flocks and domestic bird flocks, uh, primarily in the southeastern part of the state, uh, such as Lancaster and Berks counties. Uh, but on Monday, 30 Canada geese were found uh, near Clark Summit uh, that were infected with uh, this avian influenza. And so that's a little worrisome considering, you know, that disease hasn't really been found in this part of the state yet. And uh, we've seen the devastating effects it can have uh, on the poultry industry. Uh, this year alone, 4.2 million domestic birds have been affected in Pennsylvania uh, by that disease. Now, while it's important to remember that while it is possible for the virus to transmit to humans as well, it's extremely rare, and these guidelines were made primarily in the interest of poultry health. Hey, um, stop you there. Who, who actually found the birds in the Clark Summit? Did it mention that, or? Uh, the article I, the articles I've read did not mention. If I had to guess, it was probably a landowner. Yeah. But if you do go waterfowl hunting uh, next month, the Game Commission guidelines uh, for handling wild birds that you may harvest include you know, trying to harvest only healthy looking birds, uh, wearing gloves when handling the birds, and washing your hands as soon as possible afterwards. Uh, if possible, uh, field dressing the birds rather than bringing them home and, and dressing them. Uh, after handling harvested birds, uh, try to change your clothing and footwear as soon as possible because the virus can uh, transmit through clothing, especially if you have poultry of your own. And then washing all equipment and work surfaces with soap and water and disinfecting them with a 10% bleach solution. Uh, Finally, if you find any sick or dead domestic birds, please reach out to the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. And if you find any sick game birds, uh, please contact the Game Commission. Yeah, that's some good reminders, definitely. Uh, I wasn't aware of how many birds actually died um, during the recent outbreak, so that's kind of an eye-opener. Definitely. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you th- 4.2 million birds is a lot of birds. And, yeah, it is. And really, that pales to some of the upper Midwest states. I mean, Minnesota, Iowa, they got hit much harder than even Pennsylvania. Uh, so it is a very large issue. And, you know, as you know, agriculture is a major sector of the economy in the state. So uh, it's really important that we all do our part. 
That's a good one. So the other um, the other topic that I found was um, actually about marmorated stink bugs. Um, we actually covered this one on the show before, but uh, this is a new study that came out. It's from Washington State University, uh, and they determined the United States actually could face a major stink bug problem in the near future. Um, and that's mostly related to the warmer winters that we're experiencing. If people find the brown marmorated stink bug, uh, which they seem to be pretty common around here, usually it's kind of in the fall season. They're looking for a warmer place to seek out, and it usually ends up being your house. Uh, the windows, you see them there. This study kind of uh, alluded to the fact that, yes, warmer temperatures help the population explode. Right here in the Northeast, I would say that we're definitely experiencing some warmer winters. And uh, that lends to the fact that brown marmorated stink bugs are actually well established here. So uh, a population explosion could create or wreak havoc uh, on crops. And if you're wondering, you know, exactly what crops could be affected, um, I did find a short list. There's definitely a long list of crops that they could affect. But uh, just a short list, uh, apples, stone fruits, um, including peaches and apricots. Uh, they're saying figs, mulberries, citrus fruits, persimmons, uh, even beans, corns, tomatoes, and soybeans. So you're looking at quite a few different groups of plants. And they also say ornamental plants as well. So, you know, be on the lookout for these guys. Unfortunately, we really can't control the temperature. He did mention that there's a collaboration among the EPA, uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, state pesticide agencies, um, some federal research agencies, universities, and industries and growers. Uh, and they're looking for sustainable pest management solutions because there's no good one way to fix this problem. So there's also, also a work group that's being created to, to tackle this issue. I'm sure locally you could contact Penn State and they'd uh, point in the right direction as well. As far as sealing your house, um, it's kind of along the same guidelines as, you know, you're talking about lady beetles. So it's silicone around the windows if there's gaps, that type of thing. Um, the same things that you do for lady beetles. But yeah, definitely want to make mention of that. And like I said, Unfortunately, there's not much that we can do at this point, except for reaching out to the extension agency, getting their take, their expertise. So you had a topic you want to cover. This is pretty good news. Yeah, so this week, the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources uh, announced that there are going to be three new state parks uh, available, and all of them are available right now for public use. Uh, these will be the first new state parks in Pennsylvania since 2004. Uh, two of these parks are going to be in the southern part of the state, uh, with Big Elk Creek State Park being in Chester County, and Susquehanna Riverland State Park being in York County. However, one of these new parks is within easy access for Susquehanna County residents. Bossburg Neck State Park will become Wyoming County's first state park. Uh, prior to this, Wyoming County was only one of four counties in the state without a park. Did you know that, Don? I was kind of aware. I didn't know how many uh, counties actually lacked a state park, but... Uh, I love Vosburg. Uh, it's a great place. Not sure if you've ever been there. Yeah, I had not had the opportunity to go down there, but now that I you know, see it in the news and see some pictures of it, I, I'm definitely going to make a trip down one of these days. Yeah. Uh, so if you're unsure of where it's located, uh, it's along an oxbow of the Susquehanna River just west of Tunkhannock. 
Uh, some features of the park include trails, a historic cemetery, and the remains of an old canal. In the future, the state hopes to expand access for water recreation and to build visitor amenities such as parking lots, restrooms, picnic areas, and some interpretive signage. So yeah, it's good to hear that there's some new state parks, and especially with you know, being so close to Susquehanna County, I think that's great. Yeah, Vosburgh Neck is kind of near and dear to me, so um, I was telling you earlier, Endless Mountain Nature Center used to be there. Um, they kind of folded a couple of years back, but I actually did an internship there for college and um, spent some time tending trails and doing some interpretive work there. And uh, I actually, I go back every year. Um, it's a great place. In fact, we stayed overnight there um, when we, we took the Envirothon kids there this past spring. Um, we did an overnight stay there on the river. So just an incredible place, a lot of eagles great fishing. Uh, it's really kind of a step back in history if you go there. So I'm excited that other people get the chance to experience it as well. Well, good. A lot of great stories. I guess we'll wrap up the show here. So I appreciate you being on. Yeah, thanks Hopefully for having me. Hopefully you'll stop back. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. So if you have any questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570 782 If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and you can find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and ask questions, or you can make comments about the show. You've been listening to Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbard saying, enjoy the outdoors.